You know, when we think of men named Ananias in the New Testament, we tend automatically to think of Sapphira's husband. You know, the situation where Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and God killed them because they did. But there's another Ananias who, to my mind, is far more important than the one who serves as such a negative example. With this other Ananias going down as one who, for a few brief shining moments, serves the Lord in a way that was incredibly important for the history of the church. So please turn to Acts chapter 9 with me, if you would. And we're going to read in just a few moments about Ananias and, and what he did. But before we read this together, I have a couple of video testimonies that I want you to see that are going to be of blessing to you today. One of these comes from Terry Farnham, the other from Sue Newfeld. Terry has faced some real challenges in life, especially within his own family, but I always find him to be upbeat and positive and a blessing. And the same is true of Sue. She has reasons to be discouraged, but instead I find her to be positive and encouraging to others. So please watch these. Good morning. It's uh, Terry Farnham here speaking. I uh, received a card uh, from one of our elders at the church, and it was a it came at a very, very opportune time. I, I was feeling uh, discouraged. Uh, I was feeling uh, low. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I was actually almost getting depressed about things. And I just want to talk to you about uh, the card and leaning, leaning, trusting in the Lord with all thine heart. Uh, I got a card from Miles, and uh, it uplifted me. It brought me back to a place of uh, of encouragement and hope. Uh, I had been going through uh, family issues and family uh, woes with uh, my grandchildren and children, and uh, it just uh, brought me back. So I want to encourage people to reach out to uh, others uh, in the church and also outside in the uh, world with a word of encouragement, because you never know what battles people are going through, what uh, woes they're having, what troubles they're having. And just a word, a written word, uh, really, really can uplift people and bring them out of that place of um, perhaps hopelessness or despair or depression. And I just want to thank uh, the church and Kelly for doing this interview with me. I, I think it'll be uh, a blessing to people to uh, hear this type of uh, message. I just want to thank you in advance for the, uh, the opportunity to present this. Thank you. I love encouragement. I believe that coming alongside someone to encourage and bless them is a form of worship and holy work. It points to Jesus. It changes lives. A simple smile, a friendly wave, holding the door for someone, a cheerful hello, and thanking and encouraging that weary person at the till who has been listening to complaints all day. These make me happy and keep me positive and bless others. John encourages me daily with acts of service and words of love. I feel so loved, enjoyed, protected, and blessed. It builds our marriage and strengthens it. Encouragement changes my thinking and attitude. I get to use the gifts that God has given to me to bless others in His name. That's pretty wonderful. Sue is right. It is wonderful both to give and receive encouragement. Thank you to Terry and to Sue for being willing to share some thoughts with us this morning about encouragement. And the encouragement we receive from Acts chapter 9 is also wonderful. 
As it tells the story of the conversion of Saul, the Jewish rabbi and persecutor of Christians, who becomes Paul, the great apostle. And so please turn to Acts 9. Saul here is seeking to arrest Christians, likely to execute them, and on his way to Damascus to do so, Jesus shows himself to Saul, blinding him, after which he is taken to Damascus. And I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, uh, and we're going to be encouraged, I think, by what we read here. Verse 7 says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple, which means he was a Christian, named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Well, there are several reasons why we might want to read the story of Ananias today. But this morning, I wanted to read this story because I can't get out of my mind what kind of person Ananias must have been. You know, we already saw that Barnabas was the one who was willing to take Paul to the apostles when he came to Jerusalem for the first time after becoming a Christian and the apostles were scared of him. Barnabas lived up to his name, son of encouragement. But Barnabas was not the first Christian to go to the newly converted former persecutor of Christians and invite him into the Christian community. That distinction goes to Ananias. And I just want to mention a few things this morning about Ananias that I think might help us to be better encouragers. First, God specifically chose Ananias at this moment. And I think there are times when he chooses us for specific, uh, for specific moments too. You know, we saw in our first lesson on encouragement that in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, Paul tells us that some believers in Christ have received the gift of encouragement. But the text of Acts chapter 9 never says that Ananias was given this gift, even if it wouldn't surprise me. Because he overcame all the natural inclinations in his own spirit that Ananias would have had to have, inclinations he would have to, had have had to ignore Christ's call to go, and because he was willing to assist Paul, it wouldn't surprise me if working on his spirit was the Holy Spirit using Ananias just at this moment, a special moment, with a special bestowal of encouraging gift by Christ. Now, by the way, there's a tendency, I think, for us, simply because we aren't always as godly as we should be, to claim that because the gift of encouragement is given in a special way to others, that it doesn't need to be part of each of our lives. 
But we covered that, I think, in the first lessons. Just because some are gifted in special ways with the gift of, of encouragement doesn't mean that we're not all called to be encouragers. How many times have we let opportunities slip by when we could have been of real encouragement to help others? And maybe just as importantly, how do we know that God hasn't put us in just the situations that we're in, maybe some really challenging ones, so that we can be encouragers in that specific situation? God could at any moment choose you to be the one at just the right time to be of encouraging help to others. And so are your eyes open? Are your ears open? You know, Friday afternoon, I was at the bank. The line was long. It was closing time. I'm sure everyone had had a long day. Uh, I know I had. I was dead tired. And the fellow ahead of me was totally unprepared to do his banking. Maybe he was a bit of a challenging personality. I'm, I'm not sure. But he took forever. He couldn't find his bank card. He was really slow about putting the card in the machine and about logging in. He wanted to pay a couple of bills with cash, but in his bag of things, he couldn't find the envelope that had the cash in it. It took forever. And because he was so disorganized, he never did get the second bill paid. During his whole time, the cashier, every time the fellow would mention some new obstacle for why his banking was taking so long, the cashier would simply say, it's all good, sir. It's all good when she had to be as frustrated as all get out. I finally actually grabbed a nearby chair, uh, being the next one in line, and I sat down and began to laugh to myself, kind of suppressing my, my shaking and my laughter as I was laughing over the whole situation. There was really nothing else that I could do. And I was next in line, of course. I, I wasn't seventh or eighth in line, so it was maybe a little bit easier for me to laugh. I knew my time was going to come. Finally, all of that finished. And when I got to the window, the cashier looked at me with a knowing, half-exasperated kind of smile and asked how she could help me. So I said to her, you did well. And then she laughed. And I laughed. And fortunately, I was done in about 30 seconds, which I think probably pleased her and everyone else behind me. We were able to go on with our days. You know, you have to recognize the moment when you're called to offer an encouraging word. And I have to tell you, by the way, that by personality, I'm the kind of person who actually wants to run up to the window when that guy's doing his banking and taking so much time, and I kind of want to go to him and say, look, buddy, we're all waiting. Be more organized next time you come to the bank. But you know what that would have done? It would have only made things worse, as the poor cashier would now have to deal with the tension of having an angry customer in addition to dealing with the fellow who's taking forever. I could have been a jerk. I could have made things worse. Or I could have laughed, maybe uttered an encouraging word, and made the cashier feel a bit better. And I have to admit, there was a part of me that was tempted to be the jerk. I'm glad that I chose differently and let the Holy Spirit do something else with that moment. Well, when that time comes, when we have opportunity to be an encourager, we need to be willing to listen to the leading of Christ. And I thank God that Ananias was. And that's really the second thing I want to mention about listening to Christ. I don't know how Christ may call you to encourage one another, but in this case, it was a vision. And Ananias is willing to listen to Christ when called through that vision. 
You have, I'm sure, seen those cartoons where at a moment of decision, someone has an angel resting on one shoulder, encouraging him or her to do the right thing, while some devilish-looking character is on the other shoulder, encouraging him or her to do the selfish thing. To whom will we listen? Are our ears open to hear? The Spirit can't use us to encourage someone else if when he calls us, we have our ears stopped up or filled up with all kinds of other messages about how unfortunate we are or how no one ever encourages us or about how the person that we're called uh, to encourage is responsible for their own circumstances and got themselves into this mess and so they don't need our encouragement. I remember years ago, I was with a brother driving, and we came to an intersection where there was a panhandler. And I made a remark about how I never know what to do in this situation because so often those people are in the situation they're in by their own doing. And the person I was with said something like, or maybe they've just run up on some really bad luck that they couldn't control. Or maybe they're mentally ill. Or maybe they have no one to encourage them. I may not still help the person at the intersection for other reasons, like maybe I don't think that's the kind of help they need right then or that I should give them, but my attitude about them has never been the same. By the way, my daughter-in-law often will intentionally have food in the car with her for just those situations. And she'll give out sandwiches to those panhandling at the intersections because she wants to help but doesn't want to just give them cash that they'll misuse. Now, I'd say that's being intentionally willing to listen to God when he's calling you to be of encouragement to others. We need to listen. Thirdly, before Ananias can be of encouragement to Paul, he first has to overcome his natural tendency to be cynical. And what allows him to do so are his willingness to be, to let Christ call and lead him, his willingness to listen, and maybe a couple of other things I'll mention in just a moment. Ananias is actually just like you and me in this situation. Wait a minute, Lord. I know about this guy. He's a dangerous dude. And, and it's not just that Ananias is concerned with what Saul could do to the Christians in Damascus. The fact is, Ananias is concerned about what Saul could do to him. Few of us are excited about being imprisoned or tortured with 40 lashes or killed by stoning. And Ananias was pretty skeptical that visiting Saul would turn out a positive thing for his health and well-being. The fact is, there are times when we're called to be positive encouragers in situations in which we feel totally self-justified to remain cynical and selfish and passive. But do you remember Romans twelve eighteen? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There is no room for skepticism in that. There's no room for excuses. Paul doesn't say, be an encourager of your enemy, unless, of course, they have treated you poorly. Then you don't have to be their encourager. Sometimes we're called to be encouragers specifically of those who have mistreated us. Now, do you hear that? Sometimes, just like Ananias, we're called to be encouragers specifically of those who have mistreated us, who are our enemies doing good to those who persecute us, loving and praying for our enemies. It isn't just Paul's situation with Ananias that calls us to this, by the way. Jesus calls us to this. 
Jesus is the one who said, you've heard that it was said, love your enemies or love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the whole context of being perfect here is the context of treating well, loving well, praying for, encouraging those who are our enemies. And so again, who's your enemy? Jesus is calling you to love and encourage that one. Who is your enemy? Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you to love and encourage that one. Fourthly, I notice in Ananias here a desire for the good of the kingdom, a desire for the kingdom so strong that he can overcome his cynicism and his fear and his natural tendency to self-protect. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus says to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The fact is, Jesus has big plans for Saul in the kingdom. And he shows this to Ananias. And Ananias goes because he understands those big plans. Encouraging others may be hard. It may take us out of our comfort zones. You may have to actually encourage an enemy just as Ananias did. But it will benefit the kingdom when you do. And that's bigger than any of the excuses you can come up with for justifying your own unwillingness to become a servant and encourage others. Well, I'm not saying that any of this is easy. That's why on top of everything else, Ananias also is clearly a man of great courage. Now, you've probably noticed, by the way, that the word encouragement includes the word courage, encouragement. The idea is that you're helping others to take courage in the face of their challenges. That's what it means to encourage, to bring about courage in others when they need it. But it actually takes courage on the part of the encourager to bring about courage in others. It's the courageous thing, the strong thing, not the weak thing, when we encourage others, especially, of course, when we're encouraging our enemies. We think that to treat our enemies well is a sign of weakness. But that's the world's way. That's the natural, unspiritual way. And it's actually nothing other than pride that causes us to be cynical or selfish and unwilling to encourage others like our enemies. Isn't it, on the other hand, especially encouraging when someone who is by nature weak or cynical or scared is actually able to summon a courage given to them by Christ to encourage others, even when they don't want to, even when it's their enemy that they're called to encourage. But this is what Christ calls us to. This is what the example of Ananias calls us to. What are we going to say to the Holy Spirit when he calls us to encourage an enemy? 
No, I won't do it. What if Ananias had chosen that route? What would the church have missed out on if Saul had never become Paul because there was no Ananias willing to go, laying his hands on him and encourage him? Are you willing to encourage someone who needs it when it isn't easy? When it takes effort or courage or the swallowing of your pride? When the encouragement needed by another is a strong, risky word from you? I'm praying this morning that you are.